Hello and welcome to CM Conversation, a podcast brought to you by Charlton Morris. I'm today's host, Tatana Musakanya, a recruitment consultant specializing in the CDMO and pharmaceutical space at CM Life Science. In this episode, I'll be joined by Jan Wilhelm Everheld, who is the CEO at Norman Health. After working in C-level positions in the pharmaceutical industry for much of his career, Jan decided to take a, a fresh challenge running his own pharmaceutical company, Norman Health. What's interesting about Norman Health is their setup. Everything is done from Jan's laptop. The company have all the traditional back office functions, but they're carried out by multiple contractors. So Jan is the only official Norman Health member of staff. I called with Jan to ask him what inspired him to start fresh, what the difficulties were in running a company single-handedly, and how the business model has coped during the global pandemic. Here's what we discussed in our CM conversation. First and foremost, what, what I want to do is, is I think you've got an amazing story, an amazing kind of uh, journey, which will be, I think, a lot of people will be interested in. Um, and I think, you know, kind of right for you to kind of start off by giving us, you know, an intro to yourself, into Norman Investments and kind of just taking the flow with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, let me thank you, first of all, for uh, giving me the opportunity um, you're talking to um, what is supposed to be a seasoned uh, executive, which means that I've had a bit of a career behind me. Uh, in fact, I, uh, after I graduated, uh, in those days, we still had to go into uh, uh, military service here in Holland. And so I spent first a couple of years with the Royal Dutch Marines and then embarked on a, uh, uh, a career in the pharmaceutical sector, uh, which pretty quickly led me to uh, working for American companies. So I spent most of my uh, time working for U.S. healthcare-related companies, uh, but rarely in the U.S. I've spent some time in, in the U.S. in headquarters, but most of the time I was either deployed to Europe or to Asia. And um, I continued to do that until uh, a couple of years ago. And probably about two years ago, I got the opportunity uh, really through a a friend that I walk the dog with regularly to buy a bunch of products that this friend had actually developed himself, but the commercialization of it wasn't going too well. And the company was going belly up and he asked me if I would wanted to take over some of these assets. And even though I had a still a full-time job at the time, I saw the opportunity because it was it were there were a number of products that actually seemed to be working quite well, but were only sold to one yeah. customer and only in the Netherlands. And given my uh, yeah my global network, I thought it might be interesting to acquire those assets. And um, that's uh, then it suddenly went very fast because I made a I, I mentioned the price for for the assets, and um, to my surprise, he said yes. Uh, and then I quickly had to establish uh, legal entities. And if you wonder where the, the name Norman Health comes from, uh, my dog was actually called Norman. And uh, that was the inspiration <laughs> the inspiration for the name. So that's where it came from. It started. And um, at that time, as I said, I still had a, a full-time job. Um, and I had those assets. And it's only recently that I've done uh, much more with it. So when did you kind of make that transition then? Well, there, I think there were a couple of components to it. Uh, first of all, uh, I was working for an international listed company and um, it was my ambition to, uh, to take the top job. Uh, but the, uh, the guy who was in the top job had a different view on that. So uh, that was probably the right time for us to uh, separate ways. 
and then I, I, I thought about, okay, what am I going to do now next? And um, it's actually fairly straightforward. I mean, I paid my house off, uh, you know, my kids are almost off the payroll. And I thought, you know what, why don't I give this a chance? Um, I actually have something in my hands here, uh, a bunch of products that seem to be working well, that are only sold in one location to one customer, basically with two orders a year. And um, it feels like I, I can do something with this. And so that's when I, uh, I made a deliberate choice and said, I give myself two to three years time to see if I can pull this off. And uh, that's how it all started. And how, how has that journey been since then? Do, do you look back and regret it at all? Or? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. But it, it's been a steep learning curve. I can tell you that because um, obviously I, I had my network, but I also used to have armies of people that did all the, all the execution work. And, uh, and right now the army was just one, uh, which was myself. Um, so I started off by doing a couple of things. One, I, I adjusted the packaging of the product. I had a particular idea about that. And I decided that it would be useful to open a web shop. And in order to open the web shop, I, I came across a bunch of guys, which I'll, I call them my hipsters. And the hipsters, uh, I said, listen, you know, you can open the web shop for me or create it, but there's no point in doing that if I if you walk away afterwards. So I wanted to have them a stake in the success. And uh, as part of that arrangement, I ended up uh, spending time a couple of days a week uh, in the hipster office, where I obviously was the only one that didn't have a torn jeans or a, a t-shirt with a skull, and clearly the only one that had reading glasses. Um, but, uh, you know, in a, in a matter of a few months, I, I started to really understand how powerful the cloud uh, was. And I came up with the, the notion that it, it would actually be possible to build an entire company and get it uh, properly ISO certified, more or less in the cloud. So, I, and as I went about that and this process uh, moved along, uh, I said, okay, this is going to be my goal. I want to prove uh, that I, I can build a medical device company that I could run anywhere in the world from my laptop that has virtually uh, zero employees, but that does have every proper department that belongs to a normal company, all the way from R&D to manufacturing to quality to marketing to sales, etc. The only department that I don't have is HR. That's the amazing thing about this kind of story is about to create something, like you just said, ISO certified and following all the regulations and still being, you know, successful whilst doing it in the comfort of your own home, you know, able to run a business in, in your pajamas, essentially, which is amazing. So what kind of, can you give us a bit of information about some of, you know, some of your cosmetic products and medical device products that you have there in your portfolio and you know, where you started and kind of where you are now as well? So, the, 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 I mean, I acquired a little portfolio of products, but the key product, uh, which was, as you rightly say, registered as a medical device, is a, um, a product for toenail fungus, um, uh, which is based on, a, 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 on natural active ingredients and mostly manuka oil from uh, New Zealand. And of course, you know, when I told my friends that I'm in toenail fungus business, everybody laughs yeah. at me and said, you know, how, how, how deep can you, how low can you go? Um, but um, 
fortunately, uh, a lot of people suffer from toenail fungus. It is very hard to get rid of. And of course, there's a lot of uh, feet and therefore a lot of toenails in the world. And, and so what I thought is, hey, I've got an interesting product here. It's actually registered as a medical device in the EU, which means you do have to comply with a certain level of safety um, guarantees. And you also have to prove a certain efficacy, which was uh, exactly what we could do. But we did execute a, a couple of additional clinical trials to make sure that we could really back that up. And that became the, the core of, of, of the business. And, and why is that attractive? Because the product that, that we have is uh, basically endorsed by uh, professionals. It's natural and it's also designed in a fairly uh, smart and clever way, which basically helps the compliance in, in using it. And um, it took me a while to all kind of become clear on that. But the whole idea of having a product that is being recommended by a professional who is actually kind of overlooked, uh, I found intriguing because people that touch your feet, uh, like, you know, medical pedicures, we call them in Holland, or podiatrists, are not usually looked upon as the, you know, the most... Uh, glamorous. Uh, fantastic <laughs> yeah. job. Yeah, the glamorous job out there. And therefore, they didn't get a lot of attention. And so by actually focusing on this particular target, uh, helping them being successful in their uh, profession, um, we, we got a lot of traction here in, in uh, Holland, but, but also in other countries where we subsequently launched. Fantastic. So how big was the portfolio to begin with? Yeah, so it's, we're, we're you know, on the road now effectively probably about a year and a half. Because the first, uh, yeah, the first year I was still fully employed somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so we started off with one product in one market with one customer that ordered twice a year, and uh, right now I think we will end the year with uh, somewhere between twelve to fourteen uh, markets uh, worldwide in uh, Europe, uh, Asia, uh, and even Australia. Uh, we just got the approval for Australia today, actually, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Um, and so that was uh, one product. In the meantime, we have been able to add two other um, products to the portfolio, um, more or less in the same range. And then each market will have uh, a number of customers uh, focused on either the, uh, the food care specialty, but also uh, a web shop uh, that we open in every market uh, and some additional uh, segments. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on the approval and i'm guessing you know you've obviously got expansion plans there and it seems like the the company is performing really well tell us about what the future beholds you know you said that you're going to enter these markets how are you doing this yeah it is a, these are good questions um no the growth is not not driven by uh, the web shops so the web shops are uh, an integral part of our offering but to be frank the growth is mostly driven by classical brick and mortar uh, distribution channels at this stage because the brand uh, is un unknown in most markets. Uh, you know, we were launching it and the first step always is that you have to have some what I call white coat endorsement in order to start building uh, the brand. So you need a professional that recommends this product because people that start using it have a basically a medical condition that they want to get rid of. And so we have prioritized a number of markets globally where we want to enter. Um, I entered those markets 
mostly through either personal connections or what I would would say are, are mid-sized organizations that serve these professionals that recommend our product. And because in every market, those are, are like fragmented, uh, it's a fairly fragmented business. So podologist or podiatrist usually operates on his or her own. Then they buy from wholesalers and those wholesalers tend to be regionally organized, family-owned businesses. And so we, we tend to identify uh, a business like that, that has a, a reasonable coverage of a, of a market or, or a country but it's still small and eager enough to actually uh, make make some money. And then we make an arrangement with them. And on top of that, also open a web shop uh, and a website in every market, which we control here centrally from, from our headquarters, basically. And where, where are your headquarters? The headquarters are here in Amsterdam. <laughs> Uh, so we, we actually produce in Holland, um, although our key ingredients come from uh, New Zealand. Last year, I actually went, when traveling was still possible, I went on a trip for about four months to New Zealand and Australia, partly because I wanted to, uh, to see where our raw materials came from. Uh, and the Manuka oil comes from a particular tree that only grows in the northern island, mostly of uh, New Zealand. Um, so I wanted to make, uh, meet the, uh, the farmers and the producers of the oil that we, we buy to make sure that I understand what is in our product, but also uh, to secure that we have enough supply going forward. At the same time, my uh, son was also uh, studying in Australia, so it was a good time, uh, a good opportunity to meet uh, my son in Australia. And I wanted to prove for myself that indeed I could run this company from my laptop. Uh, and so traveling four months uh, basically in Asia, uh, meeting distributors, uh, but also uh, um, you know securing the supply and spending some time with my, my son in Australia. All, the, all along, we were able to just continue to run it. Uh, and of course, when I came back on March 19 here and, and everybody went in lockdown, uh, we were wonderfully well, well prepared for that scenario because it didn't change much. So uh, what has become very common now in, in these Corona days actually was something that we were yeah, already building uh, as, as we just started. Yeah. Um, you essentially got ahead of the game unknowingly. Unknowingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be to pretend that I'm the smart guy who figured it all <laughs> out. Um, although, of course, this concept of a, of a virtual company did exist before, but not much in the uh, medical or medical device space. And that is because there's so much regulation involved uh, around medical products and around safety and around your ability to track and trace products that, that, that serves as a huge entry barrier for many people or organizations. But because I have, of course, the background in this industry, um, I, yeah, I was less intimidated by all the regulation. And um, we found a really good model on, on how to make sure that we are compliant with the regulation, that we have all the appropriate approvals, uh, but still uh, building that yeah, virtually in, in, in the cloud. Yeah, I think that's, that's something that's really interesting is the fact that you're able to withstand you know, such a heavily regulated market and industry and still be able to kind of run it virtually whilst traveling and you know, enjoying your free time, you know, having, being able to spend time with you know, your son as well, which is amazing. But, as well as that, you know, when it comes to COVID, that one of the key questions was, how has that affected your business? Has it affected it at all? Or maybe it's been a positive? Well, 
it, it has, of course, in many in many aspects. I mean, I remember that uh, at the end of March, when I just returned here to Amsterdam, uh, and I, I delivered a large order to one of my larger customers. Um, this was exactly the time when uh, pedicures or medical pedicures in the Netherlands were not allowed to work anymore. And so while I uh, happily sent out a uh, quite significant invoice, uh, it took only 24 hours before my customer came back to me and said, well, um, you know, I'm not sure if I can pay the invoice. And of course, uh, that caused me uh, to have a slightly uh, sleepless uh, night for one night. Um, but then we, uh, we were actually able to work things out and he's perfectly fine uh, being able to pay the bills. Uh, subsequently, over the past uh, half year, nine months, uh, we have been able to uh, sign distribution deals with uh, at least two or three additional markets. Um, and we find that also the, the revenues here in Holland have been, maybe, have been holding steadily. Uh, I think that is partly because people have time and money at their hands still, uh, uh, certainly here in Holland, but I think many European yeah. countries, uh, uh, you, know, you can't spend your, your money in the pub, uh, you can't go on holiday. And so people do tend to spend a bit more on personal yeah. care. And, um, and yeah, so medical devices and cosmetics tend to benefit from that. So do you think, uh, well, has there been any particular areas that have been more impacted than others or? No, well, um, to be frank, I think it's mo been mostly positive uh, for, for three reasons. Of course, e-commerce and, and, and web shop sales have gone up and it has allowed us to learn faster on, on how to be effective in that uh, digital and e-commerce sp space. Um, as I told you, my largest markets, um, you know, Holland and Belgium, which were the, the oldest markets, have, have been doing uh, quite well. And especially after uh, the, the podiatrist and podologist were allowed to work again, uh, they had a, a bit of a backlog of, of uh, clients that they were seeing. Um, and then uh, the whole yeah, virtual company component, which I had unknowingly built, uh, actually made me very well prepared for, for this new way of doing business. So um, it, it, took, it didn't take me too much time to, you know, to, to basically change my meetings from physical meetings into virtual meetings. And because I have a global network um, in Europe and in Asia and in the US, I can continue to kind of build on that network and you know, work out my plans to, to grow further. And, and most of the work at this moment is really to help my distributors be successful in their market, which means providing them what I call toolkit materials, which is brochures, contents, uh, you know, information about the product, um, leaflets, uh, packaging design. All of these things can be done, yeah, basically virtually. Yeah, I think... That's actually a similar kind of model that we we offer as well as a as a recruitment company. We we are kind of pioneering in, in that sense as well. We we offer kind of content and offer something a bit more than just the typical you know product or service. It's it's that supplement to to the service, isn't it? Um, but I I think that's also really important is to kind of where do you where do you see the the market going? You know, um, what do you think the long term effective COVID will be? Well, there will absolutely be one. I think the longer this takes, the, the less likely it is that we, we will turn, get back to what was the old normal. 
uh, I think there will be a significant shift. And I saw it on a couple of aspects. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to focus a bit on the, the HR-related topics because, of course, that's also more related to, uh, to your business. But let, let, me, let me start with the, the training. So as we sign on more of our distributors, um, I, I, I don't have the ability to actually go and visit them or train them about the product. So uh, we had, for instance, a launch in Singapore in uh, early July. And it was the, the original plan that I would go there and train the, the sales crew and help them understand what this is all about. We had to all virtualize that uh, training. And um, yeah, doing, a, I guess, a podcast is a good opportunity to be a full half-day training talking about toenail fungus can, tends to be a bit boring. Yeah? So, <laughs> so how do you make a, a, you know, a three, four-hour morning training schedule on toenail fungus and toenail fungus infections? And, and how do you cure them uh, yeah, interesting enough to, uh, you know, through Zoom kind of uh, presentations? that people actually can learn and also can ask questions. And, and so we, we spend time on, on doing that. Um, I think, mm -hmm. you know, you should actually ask probably some of the people that went through the training how interesting it was. <laughs> but from the sales, looking yeah. from the sales, they seem to be quite successful. So I'm, I'm happy with that. And if you think about uh, um, HR, I, of course, I say my objective is to have a company without any, any staff in there. Um, because it, it saves a lot of fixed costs, but but it's uh, the truth is that's not really realistic. And, and in, indirectly, I am employing quite uh, some people already. And I start to now really have kind of dedicated team members, but they work at different locations under different legal entities. So to give you an example, my advertising agency will have somebody dedicated to Norman Health which I basically pay for, which will have a Norman Health email address, but has an opportunity to advance his or her career in this advertising agency. Because that's where, where people are that, that you know, she or he likes to engage with, that's where they can make uh, steps uh, on the career ladder. And within Norman Health, that would be just you know, uh, the step from uh, this side of the kitchen table to the other side of the kitchen table. Um, and so that's not really fair either to, to those employees. So I try to actually build an organization and, and there's somebody for, for QA, there's somebody for logistics, there's somebody for finance, there's somebody for uh, packaging, uh, et cetera, to kind of build these, this organization, even though they're also part of a different organization. And so what, what I think you will see more in the, in the future is yeah, true matrix organizations, where in the past a matrix organization within a, a corporate meant that you had a you know, fixed line and a dotted line boss, uh, so to say. I think you will now see that between uh, different legal entities and between different corporations. And, and that, in a way, gives uh, an individual or an employee more, yeah, more, more independence, more freedom, uh, but also a different set of uh, responsibilities and accountability. So I think that will be very interesting development uh, to see how that, that evolves over coming years. Is that quite similar to, to using, you know, a range of consultants, essentially, kind of specialists in different areas and niches and kind of coming together under one umbrella? Yeah, I think what it, what it does, it is it allows people to focus at what they're really good at 
Uh, and in, in my experience, I mean, you're going to do things, if you do things that you like, uh, and you do things that you're good at, they start to, to kind of reinforce uh, each other. Uh, so because you're good at it, you like it, or because you like it, you're good at it, uh, and you can progress. And so it's my task as a kind of like the, the spider in the web to, to connect these different departments, if you wish, from my QA department to my manufacturing department. But each of these companies are really good in, in, in one particular part. And I, I even noticed that in, in, for instance, the whole marketing aspect, because, because what used to be normally done by one agency, I have split in three agencies. For each of those, I know exactly what they're good at. So my hipsters are really good to making sure that, that web shops yeah, are being set up and function properly and get updated twice a year. They don't know anything about toenail fungus, and I don't want them to know anything about toenail fungus because I can imagine being a hipster. That's not really top of mind. Yeah, but then at, I have an an ad agency where I have somebody who is really focused on toenail fungus content. Uh, so yeah. she can drive content, she can monitor the the competition, she can help me create relative uh, materials to to share with my uh, customers. And then I have a third agency that is really good at packaging, but also in packaging it's not just, you know, does it come in a bottle or in a, in a box in our kind of products, you need to have, I have a different packaging for each market. That was a different packaging insert or a leaflet, uh, different requirements by the regulatory authorities. You can't mix those up because then you get in, into regulatory trouble. So the third agency does nothing else, but making sure that all of that mm -hmm. is compliant. And, and so it goes from the packaging there, then I collect the content and then we sell it on the web shop if you, if you like. But all of these three people have an, a Norman Health email address uh, and are part of my virtual Norman Health organization as well, even though their salary gets paid by somebody else, but indirectly it gets paid by me too. Mm -hmm. So to keep those noses aligned is an is a interesting challenge and to, to make them feel connected to, to our business and our company. Uh, but I think it is the future. Yeah, that, that actually leads me quite nicely to one of the things I wanted to know is, you know, you're very well experienced when it comes to leading the traditional corporate matrix teams, you know. How, how are the two different in, or even similar and which one do you prefer? Well, I'm not sure if it is really a matter of what I prefer. I think the market's going to dictate what's going to be. And, and so I think the, the, the traditional corporate structure except for a couple of really big ones, you know, whether you are a Royal Dutch Shell or, or Unilever, I mean, you're talking about a different, different kind of thing, but, but I think we're going to be more, and Corona is also actually uh, probably accelerating all of this. So people will spend more time, more focused uh, on, in, in one location, in one area of expertise, um, and and then, uh, but that will also create a lot of extra time. Yeah? So if you work from home, you don't have the commutes to the office, for instance. Uh, so they get more time, but they they have to spend that within their community. So you'll you'll get, um, I think, you know, different kind of engagement in local communities, uh, because the the traditional expat, if you want, uh, somebody who's been sent for a fortune to 
serve somewhere else in the in the world to keep the noses in the same direction is is an increasing dinosaur uh, i mean that that will not happen anytime soon because first of all it's going to be very hard to find people who want to move and live in a country yeah. uh, with the risk that you're not able to fly in and out uh, like at the moment when we are not able to fly wherever we want um, mm -hmm. plus all of the the fact that there locally will be people that can do the job equally as well you just need to connect them and that's where the whole digital world uh, comes into play so i think the new model is the future but it, it has many advantages you know traveling will be something in the future that most people will do for for uh, yeah for leisure purposes um, if they choose to do so, but much less to much less uh, for for business purposes. I I definitely agree when it comes to there are many advantages to this new working structure, but do you see any you know disadvantages or potential obstacles? Well, yeah, I see, I see, absolutely. Um, you know, when when I would travel in the past in in my roles uh, across the world, you would get off a plane where you had slept the whole night and you get off and you would get on stage and do your little dance and then you know it was you would walk into a room and there was a u-shaped table and and you would take your seat and it was pretty clear from the seat at the table what was everybody's role um, and now uh, you have a similar meeting but you're just one of 20 zoom uh, windows and and it's it's got to be a completely different skill set whether you are the, uh, the senior executive or the most junior uh, employee, because you're all just one little square uh, Zoom window, and uh, trying to you know get uh, an effective interaction out of that is is a is a new skill set which um, older uh, older people like myself will find harder to learn <laughs> and to adapt yeah. to than uh, guys of your your generation. Yeah, definitely. I think. The world is clearly changing, and uh, but when it comes to to yourself, how do you think you will develop with this new matrix system? You know, as competitors are now, you know, going down this virtual uh, pathway, like that you've obviously already been established in. But you know, it's there will be a point when maybe they'll catch up. Or well, the the way I look at it is, um, you know, there is uh, small uh, companies that operate in the same space. Um, but we don't really interfere much with each other. And then there's, of course, the big players uh, that also operate in, in the space where I operate. Um, towards the big players, I, I still have a, a reasonable number of uh, years, I think, to kind of you know, operate more or less under the radar because the segments that I choose to play in, which are large enough for me, yeah. Are, are usually not picked up or difficult to pick up through the uh, traditional means like you know your IMS data or your uh, Nielsen data will not easily pick up sales through um, through a podologist or a pedicure that has a private little practice in uh, in, in Birmingham or something like that yeah so uh, and 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 there's analogs of that all across the world. And that is the space where I operate. But slowly, of course, the brands that I that we own and that we sell become more familiar. And um, 
but my cost structure is entirely different uh, because I do not have an office. I do not employ people. And so I can spend much more of my revenues of my gross margin on marketing and, and basically uh, generating market share. And so that is difficult to replicate because the existing large organizations that could easily make my life very difficult have an existing cost structure. Uh, and so by the time that they understand what I'm doing, uh, they, they don't have much choice other than uh, uh, either go head on uh, or just buy the whole thing in, in one go. And that's depending on whether I want to sell or benefit. not. We will see. Yeah, no, and that's not so much about what I what I want to benefit from it. It's, I think the interesting thing that I start to notice right now is as my infrastructure is is getting close to completion, um, and you know we have the the certifications that give other people the comfort that you know all of this is a compliant business and and adheres to all the the standards that it's supposed to adhere to, especially for medical devices. Um, I get more and more requests of other companies that have products either on the shelf or they don't have you know, the space or the time to develop them. Uh, while for me, while, once I have a relatively expensive infrastructure built from a regulatory perspective, once it's there, I can add on as many products as I like with very little uh, incremental cost. Fantastic. And will there be a tipping point essentially where maybe you will have to bring on you know more permanent permanent people as as you say you know if you have this ability to to add uh more brands and products to your portfolio well when do you think that will be yeah i think there will be a a, a few of those decision points in the future um you know this started as a, as a real tiny mickey mouse business and and now the complexity is increasing quite rapidly because you can imagine if you have one product, one country, one customer, it's pretty straightforward. But now my existing customers grow in market share because of the, the marketing support that, that we give them. But we add new ge geographies and we also add new products. So it is kind of a three-dimensional growth, which is not just top-line growth. It's also growth in complexity. Uh, fortunately, the margins in this business and, and the business model are such that it doesn't require a huge amount of working capital. And so it's self-funding so far. But I, I think within one or two years, we'll get to the point where we have to decide, okay, do you want to grow at this rate or, or do we want to grow at 10, 10 times this rate, but then have to add uh, capital to do that faster? And, and yes, you're right. Of course, you need people for that. Um, although I'm still not convinced that they would actually have to sit in the same location because I think as we build it from, from scratch, we start to get so used to actually being an organization already in the Netherlands without any of us being in the same location. And uh, so I think we will get better and better at that and therefore be very prepared for, for that virtual kind of uh, uh, location but I have to say at the same time I, I noticed that I am also starting to schedule for, in, for instance bi-weekly meetings where I I move myself to one of those other locations and spend a day there just to sit close to the people that I, I work with even though we may not have a you know an, an entire full day of face-to-face you know, -face meetings 
just uh, yeah, the human interaction is something that, that always remains important. Yeah, I think that's 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 really bang on to something that I was going to point point on to next. I think there's no way you can kind of really bypass that human interaction. There'll there'll be a point where you want to to feel you know certain closeness to the people that you're working with. You know, I think it's really interesting that you know this could be the new wave where companies are all virtual and maybe you, you only see your colleagues every you know every once a month, for example, or uh, every quarter. So I think that would be very, really interesting to see how how the kind of dynamic of the industry goes, you know. Um, I think the, the big difference here is the, uh, the move from hierarchy to diversity. Uh, so so a, a traditional conventional company is based on a certain very, yeah, fairly obvious hierarchy. If you build a virtual organization, apart from maybe the company owner, for the rest, it's pretty difficult yeah. to assess where somebody else but in terms of the hierarchy in, in the organization, because the person who works for me in QA might be, you know, somebody who's just out of college and, and starting and, and vice versa, the, the person in the, the ad agency might be a very seasoned individual who's been doing that for 20 years. But in, in this virtual space, we all just work towards one objective. And, and I, I'm always a huge believer of, of yeah, building teams from, from, a diversity of people with, with different skill sets and different backgrounds and different social uh, uh, backgrounds or country backgrounds, but because it forces people to actually yeah, look at like, like how are we going to get this same objective done, even though we all come from a you know, very different uh, perspective. Uh, and if you're able to do that, then the, the outcome tends to be very, yeah, very powerful and very successful. And because you don't have to force it through hierarchy, you know, people voluntarily come up with, with, what, with something that works best for all of them. Yeah, those creative solutions, you know? Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. And I think what's really, I think what people would love to know is, you know, what would your, what would your advice be for, you know, people who are like, you know, in a similar situation that you once were a few years ago in a very much a, um, an executive role, uh, very stable, um, in a good company, you know, what, what advice would you give to those people who, you know, maybe thinking there's some projects outside of work that I want to pursue? What, what would you say to that? Well, you know, what I realized when, when I was sitting there in my, my, my hipster office, yeah, staring at my screen, uh, you know, for half an hour and then with like a red face asking at a 20 something, can you please explain what to do here? You know, and, and you hear this deep sigh and, and this kid sets up and says, I told you this in Slack three days ago. And I said, Slack, Slack, yes, <laughs> okay, Slack. And, you know, so somebody does something in two minutes and then I have another 30 minutes before I understand what has really happened on the screen. I mean, that made me realize that of course, as you progress through your career, you start to, to lean more on your experience, which is, is powerful. Yeah? Because if you have experience, you, you can, it is a powerful tool to, to help you navigate um, the business environment. Um, but, but in this world, I think experience also is going to be increasingly outdated yeah? because everything goes faster and faster. And so I think if you are able to 
leverage both your experience, but also uh, if you are prepared to continue to learn and to learn new things, which is hard if you're over 50, I can tell you, you got to kind of like start all over again. Yeah? And, and, but if you, yeah. then the combination is actually really powerful yeah? because you're, you're willing to learn and you're uh, also able to, to, to use your experience. But, but I see a lot of my peers that, you know, they kind of cruising on the automatic pilot into retirement and until something happens that cuts short that road to mm -hmm. retirement. And, and, you know, what, when I started my professional career, it was kind of like automatic that you would get that you're, when you turn 65, a farewell reception and a golden watch. And that was it. And, and I don't know anybody who, who, no, who makes it anymore till 65 in that same company. It's just, it doesn't happen anymore. Either you go up or you go out or you work for, you know, you have a very specialized skill set, and then it might still happen or you work for, for a government organization perhaps, but in business, you got to come up with, you got to keep up with what's happening around you. Yeah. I think, I think essentially what, you, you know, what I'm hearing for you is, is you've got to be, proactive rather than reactive you know yeah but it's 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 hard because i mean i you if you start entrepreneurial in an entrepreneurial thing i think you you have a choice to do that either really at the beginning of a career or uh, you know more towards the point where where i started because in the middle a lot of other things happen as well you know you you may start a family you may uh, buy a house. So there's a lot of other other things that happen along the road that you have to take into account. And it is it is easier if you, you know, I have to take care of myself more or less. Eh? Once the kids uh, are off the payroll and the house is paid off, you don't need that much anymore. And and therefore you 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 dare to take a bit more risk. But not everybody is in that position unless you're really young or you're really old. That's basically what it is. And so in between, you you either have to be able to adapt yourself. I think that is really a key. And you have to be prepared to continue to learn. And and when I tell sometimes on, uh, my friends when we're having a drink together and I'm bragging about my toenail fungus, yeah, then, of course, everybody starts to laugh. But I, And then I say, yeah, well, you know, I communicate with them in Slack. And then they all look at me and say, oh, you know, I do email. I said, well, email, you know, email is from the past. You, you can't do emails anymore. And, and then a lot of people will say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to learn it anymore. And if you're at that point that you're not willing to learn anymore, then your, your competitive edge based on experience is uh, rapidly uh, reaching its, uh, its ultimate shelf life. I think that's, that's amazing. I think I really wanted to kind of share your journey. And, you know, I think you've got to, You've got an amazing story. But yeah, where, where can people find you? Well, they can just go to either a FungiClear website, and that is F-U-N-G-H-I-C-L-E-A-R.com or .co.uk or .nl. You can Google Norman Health, and you'll find me and the Norman Health website there as well. And um, I think those will be the ways, or you can try it through LinkedIn, and you'll find my details there as well. Fantastic. Everyone, um, thank you for your time. I think it's been, it's been a great, great episode. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Appreciate that. What impressed me from my conversation with Jan was his willingness to learn and bravery to take on such an unconventional business model with his wealth of experience and industry contacts behind him too. 
Norman Health look like they're in for such an exciting future. Still thriving during a global pandemic, I'll be interested to see whether other startups will take on a more virtual approach like Norman Health in the aftermath of COVID-19. For more podcasts like this, please subscribe to CM Conversations.